The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I said, I asked my children for permission to share this part of our lives. So I had never told anybody. Our our home had become so loud. There was violence there. My life was on the line. Um, he tried to take my life from me in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided that I wanted to live. Mm. I decided I wanted to live. Yeah, because this is what I know for sure. God didn't send a son to die so that I could just barely live. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to have life more abundantly, which translates as to the full. And I wasn't living to the full. I never imagined my public healing would inspire others to heal across the world. I thank you for using him to reach the world with the message of hope in relationships. But your life does not. God, you are my publicist. We laugh. (laughs) We share the unadulterated truth. He said, not only have I not divorced you, I ain't exposed you. We didn't marry fans, we married forever. And we wanted forever to act like a fan. Reveal her, Jesus. I will not compromise Mm -mm. on getting a woman of God. You don't have to. And Father, I declare for his future wifey, thank you for preserving her. This season, I declare miracles and manifestations. See, you selling scripts. And you're unique. You ain't like nobody else. I I noticed that right away. You being true to who you are, you're going to attract. It's a Hebrew word, chayil, and it was translated wealth, and it means people. It means men, it means resources, and it means means. I'm LaTaris R. Whitfield, and this is the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. I'm your host, LaTaris R. Whitfield. Listen, are you still shacking up with us? If you're still shacking up with us, come on, can we get a commitment? Hit that subscription button and subscribe. Make sure you turn on your notification bell so you'll be notified about upcoming episodes. And those of us that are listening to the Dear Future Wifey podcast on streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, listen, leave a review. Make sure that you subscribe on those platforms as well. Listen, thank y'all so much for allowing the Dear Future Wifey podcast to consistently rank top 10 in the United States in relationships on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We're still like number one in about 20 countries uh, and consistently stay top five in a lot of countries all over the world. It does my heart great joy to see that you guys are finding value in my content. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, today's episode, y'all know when I bring guests on the podcast, it's always personal. This is my personal journey as I discover, uncover, recover love. And this is a season of miracles and manifestations. We have four more episodes left. Oh, those of you who still want to join us on our retreat, our healing retreat 
in Los Cabos on November the 9th through the 12th. Make sure you visit the link in the description and reserve your spot. We're going to have an amazing time. My boy, Vashe Williams, is going to be the psychotherapist that's going to help curate this trip and this experience. Shout out to I Can't Wait to Travel for hosting this event with me. So make sure I don't want y'all hitting me up after it's all sold out saying, can I squeeze y'all in? I'm going to say no. Ain't gonna be able to do it. I don't own the hotel, so ain't nothing I can do about it. So uh, make sure you reserve your spot now. Well, um, without further ado, welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast, my new homie, <laughs> <laughs> Mignon Freshwater. How you doing? I'm doing fabulous. You're all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. So I met you a couple of weeks ago, but actually a few weeks ago, uh, through a mutual friend. Who was that mutual friend? Karima Kibble. Karima. And we were at her daughter's uh, graduation party, and I had the privilege of sitting next to you. <laughs> and when I tell you, you are the perfect, perfect guest for this season. Oh, wow. Uh, this is a season of miracles and manifestation, and you said that this... this My this... word for this year is miracles. Why? Why, why is the, every, that your word? Every year, um, about October or November, I start asking God for a word that's going to govern my life. And I really start getting, I start honing in on what God is trying to say to me. And sometimes it'll be different words that I'm going back and forth with. And as I was getting ready to come into 2023, I had been through so much in 2022. And I just heard God say miracles. And I've been seeing God do miraculous things. And that's what I want people to know, that God still is working miracles. I, I truly believe that scripture is still being breathed today. We're just calling it poetry. Mm. And, you know, if, if disciples were walking the face of the earth, we would miss them just like they did back in yeah. biblical days. And so I believe that God is still working miracles. I've watched them happen my my little granddaughter, she turns one at the end of June, and they said that she wasn't going to she wasn't going to live through birth and that if she got to birth, that she was probably going to have to go straight into surgery as soon as she was born. Wow. And then she had that surgery in May just before her first birthday. And when she left the hospital, she crawled out. They said if she if she lived that she would be a vegetable in a, in a the little in, the incubator in a, yeah, cradle thing. Yeah. And, and then in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. But her parents said, no, really? And they she crawled out. The... She crawled out of the hospital. Now she's starting to walk only a few weeks later. How long was she in the, she was in the hospital for three days. Hold on. Hold on. She had lung, she had lung surgery. And so they removed a piece of her lung, a mass that was growing on the inside of her body and they they said that I think they were in surgery for about seven hours, and she crawled. And three days later, three days later, like like you know how Jesus yeah. got up, <laughs> that baby got up, and she crawled out of that hospital room. When I tell you, guys, they unhooked a, her from all of the things. She was all good. God's a miracle worker. He is. And you're a walking miracle. Mm -hmm. um, that's what made me uh, bring you to the Dear Future Wifey podcast, and we're gonna jump into it. You know what? We were vacillating about the title of this episode. Why don't we just call it Made From Scratch? <laughs> I, I love it. 
that's a cheat code. She has an amazing bestseller called Made from Scratch. And I said, you know what? Why why try to reinvent reinvent the wheel? Let's yeah. just call it what it is. Yeah. Because you are the epitome of this title. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna talk about that. Um Matter of fact, what made you name this book Made From Scratch? Yeah, I just wanted to call it Scratch at first because I saw my life as this. I was in a dream one day and I was in a deep, dark well. And I was clawing my way out of this well, like just a mud sort of well with a little water underneath. And I was so tired of being in that well, I just wanted to get out. So I began to dig my way out of the sides to make stairs to get out of the well. And when I'm coming out of the well, I see a tree just beyond me that I could wrap my arms around and I could pull myself out. And just as I'm getting clawing across the grass to this tree, I look back and somebody's pulling on my leg. And I'm like, where were you when I was down there, down in that well by myself? And it was a woman, and, and the look on her face was, don't leave me down here. And I, and I, I said to her, if I'm going to help you out, you're going to have to help me help you. And so then we're both trying to get her and me out of this well. And just as we're getting her out of the well, she looks back, and there's another woman trying to use her leg to get out. And I think as women, sometimes we miss the fact that God brings us through things to pull other people out. Yes. And so as I was thinking about the word scratch and all the things that God brought me from, he showed me that he had been making me from scratch from the beginning. Because in the process after coming up with a name, because I was thinking scratch, you know, I've been, I've been, yeah, I've been injured, clawing. you know, yeah. I've been clawing and trying to get out some things. Scratch is that little sore that you pick at. It becomes infected. Yeah. yeah. But God also showed me in the process of this that the line that you start a race at is called the scratch line. Mm. So from the beginning, he was making me and molding me into what he wanted me to be. I was going to have to go through some stuff. And when you put that baton in my hand on the relay, I'm not supposed to go back to scratch. But a lot of times that's, that's what we do. We go back to scratch and run the same race that was run before us. And that had been something that I was teaching my children all along. When I stick the baton in your hand, don't go back to scratch. And a lot of times we find ourselves walking through what our parents had been through. And so when the name came up, it was finding success without a recipe. That's that's the thing that made it different. Everything I did, I had to get it hard. Finding success without a recipe. Mm-hmm. So you had no mentor to coach you through stuff? You, you know, you just kind of figured it out on your own? Yeah, so when I started the Cupcake Collection, I didn't know how to bake. Not even out of a box. So so you got these cupcakes. So we're going to get on this. And this. Well, hold on. All right. Yeah, okay. So you have this thing where you have uh, the sweet potato challenge. Yeah. Because if you ever meet another sweet potato cupcake, it wants to be this one. It wants to be that It one. wants to be this one. This now, is t- a cupcake collection original. Well, I'm gonna tell you this now. I'm not. I don't. I don't really. I'm not a sweets person. So, okay. So I'm a. So what you want me to do? I want you to try the sweet potato cupcake because it's not as like overly. Which sweet. one is that? It's the one with the cinnamon on the top. Yeah. All right. And if you love it, so if you so what we ask people to do is just to give us their natural, unfiltered reaction, and you can't hurt my feelings because I know it's good. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, but, I may not be a good judge anyway because I don't eat sweets like that anyway. But let okay, me just see Okay, so something. if it's really good, I just want you to be able to say it's so yam good. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. Okay. When you're on, you're on to something. <laughs> you should start a whole company making cupcakes. I'm I think you. I will. <laughs> see, I, I, I prophesied over your life right now. This is good, and it's not too sweet. Yeah. That's the reason why I don't like a lot of sweets, because it'd be too sweet. Mm -hmm. And this right here is so yam good. <laughs> so yam good, boy. And okay. I didn't even coerce you to say that. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, you should start a cupcake business. <laughs> My grandmother was known for making cake. This and is good. I could call her on the phone at any time and say, Grandma, I'm coming. It would take me two hours to get there. And by the time I got there, she'd have a coconut cake for me. A coconut cake. Coconut is my favorite cake of all time. Dang, that's good. Thank you. So what I so when you asked me if I had a mentor, if I had a mentor when it came to be in the kitchen, it would have been my grandmother. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. I would mm -hmm. snap beans with her, wash vegetables for her. Snap beans, boy. You sound from the country, don't you? <laughs> I'm from New Orleans. They say others may only eat to live, but in New Orleans, we live to eat. My my, my son Armani from New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, he's from New Orleans, Armani, see? There's your kinfolk over here, Armani. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do our family tree and make sure you're not my little cousin or There something. it is. There it is. So you grew up in the country. You so said your, your, your grandma had you snapping peas, but she never mm -hmm. taught you how to bake? No. <laughs> no. And my grandmother knew that I didn't want to be in the kitchen. I was going to college on scholarship to be a doctor. I oh, wanted really? to be a surgeon. Yeah, a I, surgeon. I wanted to be a surgeon. I didn't want to have children. I never want I I wanted to be married. I didn't want to have children and I just wanted to heal people. I never liked being in the kitchen. But I did not take the right path to follow my own dream. <laughs> but I think God had a bigger dream for so me. So you want to be married but not have children? I didn't want children. Were you telling guys that when you dated them that I don't want to have kids? You know what? I got pregnant when I was 17. Oh, so, so, you, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance. To... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't take the right path to follow mm -hmm. that plan, actually. Now, see, I almost ate the whole thing. I, I don't even like been, sweets. I've been a fan. I don't like sweets. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't like sweets like good. But it's, just, it's, it's addictive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really moist. Mm -hmm. So it kept making me eat it. Well, I'm thank a fan, you. I'm a fancy about it. One of the things that I love about our product is we don't do a lot of fancy names. We don't have a lot of fancy ingredients that you can't pronounce. <laughs> if I wasn't going to give it to my children, I'm certainly not going to give good. it to you. And so when people come in, they say, well, what's the pink one? It's strawberry. <laughs> Because it's pink like that because of strawberries. We the don't. With strawberries? It's the strawberries that dye it that color. And what's the other ones? So you've got red velvet, which is not a chocolate cake dyed with red food color. <laughs> that is not what red velvet cake is. And then you've got our marble cake, which to me is the perfect balance of a vanilla butter cake with our cream cheese icing and then our chocolate buttercream as well as our chocolate cake. So you have the best of four different worlds. So our cream cheese icing on vanilla or chocolate cake is amazing. Or our chocolate icing on chocolate or vanilla cake is amazing. So I just put them together. I married them together. And since, you know, we're talking about relationships, the relationship mm -hmm. between chocolate and vanilla mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. cream cheese and chocolate mm -hmm. is a good one. Listen, People can't even appreciate this book <laughs> or these cupcakes without knowing your story. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I was sitting at that table during that graduation uh, lunch, 
you almost brought me to tears. Mm-hmm. I didn't know whether to cry or run around in celebration by the sheer audacity of hope and faith mm. that you operated in. Mm. And so I want to go back and unpack all of this in front of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you were married before, right? Yeah, for you, 21 years. For 21 years. Let's talk about that. You yeah. got married around what age? When I was 19. You got married at 19. Uh, tell us a little bit about that marriage. When, when I say, what's the first thing that comes to mind if I say, talk to me about that marriage? Mm. I was young and naive. I heard God tell me, don't get married. I had. You heard God say, don't get married, don't get married to him. I heard God say, don't get married to him. At what point in y'all's courtship? One month before we got married. The invitations were out. We only knew each other four weeks before he asked me to marry him. Four Four weeks? Four weeks. And we got married within three months. Which is why I think that 19-year-old, so so Armani, Armani don't be getting married now. <laughs> Real um, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I would, I thought that no one was going to want to marry me. And I thought that I should be grateful. Mm. Um, because someone wanted to. Because I had a baby. And... Those were the kinds of things that were said to me. And so I believed them. I don't know why I believed it, but I believed it probably because my self-esteem was non-existent. I didn't know who I was. I knew whose I was, mm-hmm. but I didn't know who I was. People don't understand when, when you use that vernacular. What does that mean? You say, I know whose I was. Yeah. I knew that I was a child of God. My parents had taught me that. My mother was a huge cheer, is a huge cheerleader for her children. So she was always telling us that we were the greatest and the best, no matter what mistakes we made. She always told us that we were the best. So I knew those things. But I didn't know what God had called me to be because sometimes those voices on the inside of your head speak louder than the ones that are telling you what you can do. The one on the inside of you telling you what you can't do often speaks louder than the one that's on the outside of you that's telling you what you can do. And what I learned in the process was I'm no different than I was as a little baby when in the first year of life I learned to speak a language. I learned to manipulate that language, right? Hold on, what do you I mean? Le- well, you know, all of us do. You said learn to manipulate well, the language. Well, we, we learn to manipulate the language before we <laughs> before we can really even talk. And then we learn to walk. We learn to feed ourselves. And if your parents are bilingual or trilingual, you learn all of those languages and can speak them fluently and understand. I've met little children and my grandbabies are some of them that can even speak sign language so they can speak sign language and they can use their voice all in the first year of life. But when we get older, we don't believe what we can do. That's good. And it's the difference between what are people championing and telling you you can do because of the fears they have on the inside of them. Facts. Or what are they saying to you, stop doing or don't do that because you're going to get hurt. But the difference is when you're a baby, there's babies that break arms. There's babies that my grandbaby got all of her teeth knocked out of the front. And she got up again. You know what I'm saying? That didn't stop her from trying. But as adults, we get a little scratch. And then we're too afraid to try something new. We're too afraid to jump off the cliff and and dive. What happens if 
stairs up here? Or yeah. What happens if, you know, a canopy catches you? And I think I didn't know all of that stuff in the beginning. You said you were told that no one would want to marry you. Yeah. By who? My, my older brother told me that no one was going to want me because I had a baby. At 17. At 17. Wrote your whole life off because he said. And my brother used to tell me stupid stuff like, you're not even mom and dad's daughter. Like, you know, mom found you on the bridge. Like, he would say all kinds. But it's crazy how you begin to believe things that later on when you find out the truth, they don't even make any sense. Yeah. And what I learned in the process was the enemy's job is to make everything that God said sound like a lie. God dog it. How long you gotta let that settle over for a little bit? Mm-hmm. That's the enemy's plan. Mm-hmm. Is to make everything that God said sound like a lie. Because he can't he can't make you do anything, but right. he can convince you that these were your ideas. Yes. And that's what he was doing to me. He was convincing me that I wasn't beautiful. He was convincing me that I wasn't good enough. And I believed that nobody was going to want me. So when this man that was 11 years older than me came along and said that he wanted to marry me and he wanted to, he, he bought me things and he gave me flowers and he understood how to make me feel seen. I thought that meant that he was madly in love with me and that we should get married because he asked me to. And a month before your nuptials, God said, don't do it. Clearly, I heard God say, don't do it. Now, this wasn't the first time I had heard God speak, um, which that's one thing that I'm trying to do with my life now is tell other people, A, about what they can do if they believe, but also how to hear the Holy Spirit, what that sounds like. So I or where he speaks because he doesn't speak in your ear. It's not a voice that you yeah. can hear and live, right? Yeah. You, you get it, it in it, your gut. Yeah, it's, internal. it's that it's that strong feeling like, ooh, yeah. I, I should turn left right now, and then you decide to go right when the Holy Spirit says, "Uh, don't go that way." And then you're smack dab in traffic, <laughs> and God knows how much you hate traffic. Yeah, and He cares about things like you don't want to be stuck in traffic. And I I was stand. We had we had gotten an apartment. I was standing by the door. My parents had taught me how to be financially free. I got punished from my first credit card at 15. My mother got me a credit card at 15 because she didn't want her children to be black children that didn't have credit. That was her goal. Right. So she wanted to teach us how to be responsible over debt. So I got my first credit card when I was 15 years old. And I had a job. I've been working since I was 10. When other Ten. when other little girls were playing baby dolls, I was playing business. <laughs> I did not like dolls. I, I, you could bring your dolls to my bank. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not interested in playing Barbie and pretending. But I would make my own money, you know. And then when, when fake money didn't serve me anymore, we started making things to sell and would go knock on the doors of our neighbors to try to sell those things that we made that's what i'm saying just entrepreneurship be like in your in your in your bones yeah Yeah. and i'd always watched my mother be um leading what was she doing so my mother was always the branch manager at uh at metropolitan life insurance company and so i would go there after school because in new orleans we didn't have public transportation for schools. And so we caught the, well, we didn't have school buses. We had yeah, to get on the public the, yeah, bus. City buses. And so I would go down to her office and wait for her 
to drive home. And so I would go to the cubicles of all the sales reps. They would always have stacks of paper all over cluttered in their offices. And I would offer to file those things and they would pay me money for that. (laughs) So that was my first job. (laughs) So when I got this bill, my mother gave me my credit card. I got my first bill that she intercepted. And she asked me to bring her the money. I believe it was $279. Back then? Yes. I had you had charged up. up $207 back then? Yes. In clothes and shoes at a place called Learner, New York. <laughs> I, I, was, I was learning how to figure out what my style is, which is very different. You know, I'm, I'm only wearing heels because, you know, we're doing this right here. I, I'd normally be wearing some collector's pair of tennis shoes, but if I, I couldn't get it to match the lace today, so I, so I couldn't put my, I couldn't put my dunks on today. But, you know, like I'm very into, you know, whatever just really calls my name, no matter what people think about it. Right. Yeah. So I think it was $279 that I had, racked up on you were 15 years old she said bring me the money for this bill and i said i don't have it (laughs) she said then bring me all the clothes so i had to give her all the clothes i had to bring her my paycheck and i had to bring her my credit card so she took everything until i could pay the debt so i learned early on how to be responsible over debt and over money how did you respond to that though were you throwing I was a temper mad. Oh, yeah. I was mad. This isn't fair. This is my money. She said, well, you need to learn that you don't use credit in or you don't use someone else's money to get what you want. You use your own money for that. So she was teaching you to use credit to build your credit, but you'd better be able to pay it off at the end yeah. of the month. She was not a believer in carrying debt. So to this day, we've been able to build a brand that carried us through the pandemic because I understood how not to carry debt. Boy. <laughs> Boy, let me tell you something. That 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 old school teacher, right? Yeah. See, God is so He is so sovereign mm-hmm. because He taught you something way back then at 15 years old that you grabbed the lesson. You could have been disobedient, you could have got mad. It's okay to get mad, but you learn from it. You mm-hmm. said, I'm frustrated, but I'm going to take heed to what this wisdom was. Yeah. You didn't get mad and be- become defiant and say, I don't care what she say. I'm going to rack up debt for the rest of my yeah. life. You, when I get out of here, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. You said, I'm going to take this lesson. I'm going to get mad about it, but I'm going to learn from it. Yeah, but being unequally yoked with an unbeliever doesn't just mean not believing in Christ not believing the same biblically. Right. It also means not being unequally yoked with someone who doesn't believe in debt the way you believe in it. That's good. And so when when God was telling me not to marry this particular person, it was because we hadn't been trained in the same way. See, my mother trained me in the way I should go so that when I was old, I would stay on that path. He didn't have parents that taught him what my parents taught me. So you got married to him and then what happened? So you got married to him. Um, we were it, instantly, we were in debt before our wedding day. How? What do you mean? Because he was using my credit to uh, buy things. Oh, buy you stuff. For me. So he was using your credit to buy you stuff. Mm-hmm. And then. Or who, to carry our household in different ways. And I just was so <laughs> young. I was so young. And I, I, you know, I don't know that it was 
intentionally to hurt. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't believe it he was, was just a, surviving. He just, he didn't know. No one ever taught him those things. And so I, I just think that you've got to make sure that you align yourself with people who have the same goals and desires and plans or willingness to learn. And I think that had I known certain things like, you know, I, I didn't know that it wasn't a big thing to have at that time, $10,000 in the bank was something he would say to me often. When we get $10,000 to make, everything's going to be okay. And now, at this age, like I'm a grandmother now, I went, went back and asked my mother, I said, Mom, how much money did you make back then? And she told me my mouth fell on the floor. I was like, why didn't you ever tell me that? Because I never would have been impressed by the things that were being said to me. And that's what I hope that other women will hear today. Like we're so busy being mothers and we're so busy raising our children that we forget to show them how to be out in the world. You know what I mean? Like that, that bit of, what do you call it? That common, that common sense. If my, my mother had showed me so many things, but she was shielding us from things too. And I, I don't think she ever thought about the fact of the kind of life that she and my father were providing for us. And see, and that's what I want to show my sons is to literally sit down and say, these are bills. These mm -hmm. are how much, when these lights, this is how much electricity is, this is how much this, this is what my income is. Look at how I have to play air traffic controller over these bills in my money yeah. so that you can see it. And hopefully it brings value. So you said- Yeah, it has but my mother did that. My mother did that. She did show us that. But what was but, missing then? But my mother had a scarcity mindset. She was afraid that she was going to not have enough because she had been through that. So she never showed me the piece of what goes in to take care of all of this stuff. So I knew how to govern over money, but I didn't know how much was enough money. I didn't know what I should be looking for as a good living. I knew what working hard looked like because my parents, all three of them, worked very hard. By that, I mean my mother, my father, and then the woman my mother later married, um, it, you know, when we were older. So I've always seen all of my parents work very hard, but they never told us how much is a good living. Mm. And has she told you that? Has you she told me that? I feel like that would, that would have been a game changer for me. And I hope that... I hope other people listening right now who are building wealth and they're training their children in the way they should go also pull back the curtain and show your children what it looks like to actually govern over these things that you're teaching them to manage. Hmm. I'll take that challenge. Yeah, I, 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 I truly accept that challenge. And so you're marrying this guy. You married this guy. Um, guy three, three months after I met him. Three months after you met him, mm -hmm. you're 19 years old. A month before your I do's, God said, don't do it. You went through it. At what point in the marriage did you hear God's voice say, I told you? Ooh, I don't think I ever heard God say, I told you, because I believe that or I believed that I got married for better or for worse. So once you get married, you believe that God says, the warning that I gave before destruction is obsolete. I honor marriage to the degree that now you have my blessing over even a wrong decision. 
Ooh, that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear it that way. <laughs> you know, like somebody said, well, you know, what God has joined together. Well, maybe God didn't join this together. You know, I, I don't know. But I'm just saying I was working on what I believed. And so as you were working on it, when did you feel like? When he oops. kicked me out of our lives. He kicked you out of his life. Our lives. How? So, you know, I I believed that, and I, I talk about this extensively in my book. I believed that you get married for better or for worse. And who am I to say, God, this is way too worse. The promise that I right. made to you, God, I'm sticking okay, to this, it. This. Yeah, because you don't eat sweets. You I know? don't at all. <laughs> You know, God, this is this mm -hmm. is not the kind of worse I signed up for. Mm -hmm. I believed that if you're going to take the good, you're going to celebrate the good. Then you also have to take the bad and thank God for the bad. We hear it like this. We're going to thank God for the doors he opens. We also have to thank him for the doors that he closes. So I was staying in my marriage trying to do I told you that I, I love the episode with April Mason. Yes. And yeah. the piece that she said that just really stabbed me in my soul was, we don't have a legacy of love. And mm. what I was trying to actively do was break the cycle so that my children wouldn't have to. Yes. I, I wanted to stay in that marriage because... My husband, as we call him. Husband. Because <laughs> he was my husband. <laughs> he had parents that stayed married. They were married, you know, I believe 60 years when wow. my father-in-law died. 60 years. They had been married since they were since they were like 15 years old. And he died the week before we got married. They buried him on the Friday. We got married on Sunday. Wow. They had been married. You so know, your husband was getting married. He was. You didn't say it right. It was been, <laughs> your husband was getting married mm -hmm. after burying his father. Yeah. Two days prior. Two days later. And I offered to, to, change to, to let's just postpone the wedding. But he knew that if we didn't get married, we probably weren't getting married. Really? Oh, yeah. I believe so, that. So, so you heart. must have shown some opposition along the way. I don't know that I I just think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> what do you mean he knew you what know? he was doing? Like, I don't mean to make it seem like he was manipulating anything, but he was 11 years older than me. So you thought he was rushing you? Because you said if he knew what he was doing, he wouldn't delay it after dealing with a traumatic I would say villain. that anybody who was out there watching would have said he knew what he was doing. Now, did I believe he loved me? Yes. But, but I think that I was young and naive, and I think that it was an impulsive thing to get married. And had we postponed our marriage, people would have had an opportunity to get to me. Because here's the reason why I did it. So, you know, I told you that I heard God say, don't get married. Right. I was just like, well, God, I'm like, I'm standing in my little foyer in this apartment that we had. I'm like, God, well, the invitations went out. Yep. They already bought their tickets. People have bought gifts. That was why I did it. You didn't want to let everybody down. I didn't want to let people down. I didn't know that people would give those gifts back. This is what I want you to hear. I don't care how many invitations have gone out. I don't care how many presents have been purchased 
There are people that are purchasing gifts that don't have money to spend on those gifts and they will gladly get, take them back to the store or keep those things for themselves or have it already wrapped for the next thing. And I didn't know that. That's but that's good. why 19 year olds probably shouldn't be getting married. <laughs> well, there are some mature 19 year olds who know that they're in love and, and that's, you know. And they what, have uh, wise counsel around that's teaching yeah. them. They've been through marriage counseling. They're doing all that type yeah. of stuff. But this is a person I had never laid my eyes on before I met him. And what did your parents say? 11 years old or so. Yeah. My you're like 30 years old. I, I think they let me make the decision. I don't my, my I don't think that my parents loved it, but they also knew that I was a child that was going to do what I wanted to do. So and you, I think they just wanted so to mignon, support you was, me. You, you was real stubborn. Yeah. You, and the the night before my wedding, my mother comes and said, Mignon, you know, you don't have to do this right. And I was like, Mom, stop being so negative. I'm doing this. Like, by then I'm here. And I had ne never told anyone what I was thinking in my mind and my girlfriends wanted so terribly for me not to do this. Like I've carried the same friends through my whole life and I've gathered, you know, a few friends here and there along the way, but those core friends have been there all along. And they were like, now tell me why we get married. <laughs> Cause you know if you if you marry one of us, you marrying all of us. Like, said, why are we getting married? <laughs> why are we getting married right now? <laughs> so that aha moment came when he kicked y'all out of of our lives, of y'all's lives. Mm -hmm. How did he do that? So there's some things that I haven't said until now because I wanted to be respectful of my children. There are things that. You know, this is not just my life. It's right. our lives together. Um, but we got a knock on the door at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I found out that, in fact, you could date a married man. He <laughs> said you this, could date a married man. This woman told me so. <laughs> and I had, we had been moving from state to state and, this stuff had come to me before in other cities. Oh, it has? Yeah. This stuff had come to me in other cities where women had told me about my husband. And what would you say? And I would go to him about it, and he would say they're lying. And you say, okay. And I would believe him. Would you believe him? I, or would you I, just yeah, accept yeah, it? Yeah, I accepted it. I accepted it. I think I believed it, too, because I wanted to. Yeah. Not because it was so believable, but the final time, which is where this book starts out, when we left Atlanta and went to Nashville to start over, I, we started over with an ultimatum that said, if it happens in Nashville, don't ever speak to me again. And it happened greater in Nashville and worse in Nashville than it happened in any other place. What made it so worse? The audacity you know, one of one of my team members quit the bakery because she couldn't watch it happen in her face anymore. Oh, and ew. she said, I love you too much to stand by this window and see the things that I see. And I said, OK. I never questioned it. When she said that, you said, said, OK. I just said, OK. Because you knew what she her, was saying? I knew what she was saying. Because I had heard it before. She said, stand by this window. To stand by this window and see what I see. He was doing that to a job? That's what they said. 
that's where he met the woman and knocked on the door at 3 o'clock in the morning. But I can't say because I didn't see it. So she knocked at your door and said what to you? Well, she knocked at my door with my husband's things in her hand. So there were, and my mother answered the door. On this particular night, my mother was visiting. Flat screen TVs had just come out, and she had bought my children a flat screen. All of my kids were home. Even the ones that were away at school were home. And they were all sleeping mm. in the front room. Oh, God. Having a sleepover that with is the their grandmother. Worst, the worst environment. Like, why, why did it have to happen like that? Yeah. They were having a sleepover with their grandmother in the front room in front of the flat screen TV. And my mother answered the door. So... We decided, you know, we had another home that we were working on in another city and people were decided to start telling me the things that they were seeing in the other city. And she told me all the things of what my home looked like in that other city. Where was so he I at knew. during that day? He well that night. That night he he left her at the door with me. Oh, he was home. He was home. My mother came and knocked on the door and said, Francois, someone is at the door that says she's your friend. <laughs> she says you're your friend. <laughs> and so I, I'm always <laughs> waiting for the ball to drop in my life. You know, I've, I've had so many things happen in my life that shock and surprise me and take the wind out of me. So I'm always waiting for the ball to drop. And... So hold on, let me rewind this. So even in this, um, to death do we part, we rock in the marriage for the rest of our lives, you still, you're saying in the back of your mind, you was always waiting for the shoe to drop? Always, always waiting. And it was, it could have been anything. So someone knocking at the door at three o'clock in the morning, I thought it was a bill collector. Oh, okay. I thought, he, you know, I thought it was some contractor who wanted their money. You know, we have a story of lack. We We, we have a story of, you know, not ever being able to make ends meet. So, you know, somebody knocking on the door, I really don't want to know what it is. I'm like trying to put the pillows over my head. I'm trying to cover my head. And so I turned over and my mother said, Mignon, get up. Mm. I said, I don't want to. She said, get up. I think you would like to go to the door. So I'm just like, oh, I don't feel like, <laughs> you know, I'm a grown woman like, you know, <laughs> throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> going to the door. And I did what I saw was something I, at, at that point, we had been married for 17 years. And I asked her who she was and I said, Tell me who you are. She said, Ask him. I said, I'm asking you because you're on my porch. And she said, Well, you can call me. You have my number. She had been blowing up our house phone so much the night before that I I got ready to answer the phone and that was the last time it rang and it was her. She was waiting for him to come for them to have a date and he didn't show up. He stood up and she said, I'm going to come to your house. Yeah. And he had been trying to pick a fight with me that whole night. So he can get an excuse to walk away. Well, I dated a woman that used to do that mess. I said, I said, why you be making fights? Yeah. It, it dawned on me like six months later. I was like, 
God, dog, this is what yeah. you was doing the whole time. Yeah. You'll start a fight to, to build space because we ain't going to talk for some hours or whatever. And then, then you can go off and do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And then I said, boy, there's some shady people in this world. Yeah, And th this in Nashville where I said, if it happens in Nashville, yeah. don't ever speak to me again. And I still stayed. Oh, and that so when that happened, that, when that was lady seventeen showed, years in. So when that lady showed up at the door, then what? I still stayed. How did you reconcile that? Did, did the things he say, that he said. What did he say? Know, I got to hear this. I'm one. sorry. God told me to stop. You know, He showed me in the Bible that He was gonna, you know, bring all this stuff out to life. So was he saying he stopped the day before? That's why he didn't no, show no, up. No, he he was sorry. Oh, that he he wanted to work on things, and so did I. I mean, I was trying to break the cycle. How many kids y'all have at that time? So we have six at that time. I had six kids. Five of them were were, were his biologically. So, no, four. So we three of them were a wedding present. So wedding present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of them was mine that that I had when I was 17 and then we had two children. Okay. So he had, he brought three to the marriage. Mm -hmm. And then so he said I'm sorry with this did y'all go through counseling or anything? I know back yeah, in that day. Yeah, we went day, to, we okay. went through counseling. You know, back back in those days people wasn't it's over the last few years that counseling is popular in the black community. Yeah. But y'all went through counseling. We went through counseling. Counseling outside of a church or was it, it in within church? the church? But okay. our counselor was a doctor. He, he was a, a psychologist in the church. So he was on the ministry team. So our church had a professional on the team. And so y'all went through counseling. The marriage was restored. No, I think that my business took off. We started the business knowing that he wanted a divorce from me. Hmm? Yeah. So this is about that same time. When I said how, you know, I remember coming back from that door in silence at three o'clock in the morning, walking that. We have like a 25 foot hall down our house. I remember just walking that green mile. Walking the mile, the green mile, walking the mile, green mile. <laughs> that was me. And I just remember going into the room and saying, I just got one question. And that's when he opened the Bible and showed me this Bible verse where God had said something like, you've been roaming the earth like a dog. And I was like, oh, it's worse than I think. And I just climbed in the bed and turned my back. And I, I remember not saying anything. Rage began to build on the inside of me over the next several weeks. To the point where my daughter had left some clothes in the dryer. And I had been saying, stop leaving your clothes in the dryer because I don't want to have to take your clothes out if they were wet. And, you know, mm -hmm. I have to rewash them. And when I'm trying to use the dryer, you using the dryer. Mm, yeah. I had the same conversation <laughs> with Ladarian this past weekend. I mean, that was yesterday. I said... 
I keep telling you, but I told him to wash his clothes. And I said, why are you supposed to wash your clothes on Wednesday? He said he was going to do it on Friday. But I said, you need to wash your clothes. I said, now it's time for me to wash my clothes. Your clothes sitting right over here. And I said, that's just so frustrating. So <laughs> I'm glad that I am, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. I feel seen. And so so <laughs> I, I, put, I, I was screaming, you know. You took it all out Lauren, on that. get your things out of the dryer. So Lauren comes into the room like, Mommy. Just closing. It's closing the dryer, and I just go off. You don't. You y'all don't respect me. All that I do for y'all, she said, "Mommy, it's closing a dryer." You know the wire hanger. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy dearest. (laughs) And I remember going. My mother was sitting in the kitchen. In silence, I remember going into my room and I slammed the door so hard, but it wasn't hard enough for me. So I opened the door and I slammed it back and I opened it and I slammed it and I opened it and I slammed it until the door broke shut with me on the inside. So then I'm trying to get out, get out of the room. I'm yanking on the door and I couldn't get out. So I decide that I'm going to pick up something and I'm just going to start throwing things. And I picked up something to throw at my mirror. And I said, no, I don't want to break that because it took me a long time to get that mirror. I had just had these mirrors installed that I've been waiting to get for a really long time. I said, no, don't do that. So I said, let me go throw it. I'm, I, I'm literally going through this in my head. I'm going to throw this at the TV. Well, that would be stupid because you love TV. Do not break that TV. So I didn't have anything I could break, and I'm stuck in the room, and I just broke down in tears. And then one of my sons came and opened the door for me. And my mother was sitting there in tears, Mm. crying, asking me why would I choose to stay like this? And we decided that we were going Mm. to get a divorce. But how, how am I supposed to take care of myself when my whole life has been taking care of your children? I'm a stay at home mom. Well, you have a degree, but my, when I graduated in 1999, like, you know, we're here in 2000 and I guess maybe it was 2005 or six or seven at the time. What am I, what am I supposed to do? My, all of my life and experience and my skill set is in you. And he said, well, let's get your bakery open. And that's what I want women to hear that just because you've been spending your time with your family and you have been taking care of your children Four out of 10 businesses are being opened by women every day. And 60% of those people who are entrepreneurs had children before they got started. And it doesn't matter how old you are when you get started, because the older you are, studies are showing that you're getting started in your businesses, the more successful you have a rate at becoming. So don't be afraid to start wherever you are. Teach. Teach. So he said, start your bakery. Mm-hmm. But you're not a baker. I'm not a baker. <laughs> so where did this come and start a bakery from you wasn't yeah. a baker? I've been listening to this guy on the radio. His name is Dave Ramsey. He was telling people mm-hmm. that they could get out of debt by having a bake sale or a garage sale. <laughs> we had moved to Nashville selling everything that we had so we couldn't have a garage sale. We, we had been offered a position by we, you know, as a family because – my job is to take care of the household. 
we had been offered a position in Nashville. So we sold all of our tools to get here because he's going to be a VP at a big company now. And now we're going to have normalcy for our children. The lights are going to come on because we flick the switch and Mm -hmm. we're going to get water that comes out of a faucet because we will it too, because everything is going to be different now. And as soon as we got there, last one hired is the first one fired. The, the division that we were going in for closed so the incumbent wasn't leaving. What business were you working at or did you have where the woman said, I can't still keep sitting in this window looking at your husband pretty much? That was the bakery business. So that was the bakery yeah. business. I can't, so, I'm kind of telling you a little yeah, bit out of Yeah, out of, out of sequence. <laughs> and so, so you start your bakery business because of what Dave Ramsey said, have a basic yeah. bake sale to get out of debt. Mm-hmm. And how did you learn to bake? So I had learned how to bake because my grandmother, who I used to snap peas with, yeah, taught me how to cook over the phone long distance. <laughs> so when I was 17 years old, so I, I told you I've been working my whole life and I've always been looking for opportunities and I take them. And so my grandmother was my favorite cook. If I could have my last meal, it would be a roast that she stuffed with whole pieces of garlic and the holy trinity of celery and, you know, onion. (laughs) Can you smell it? She'd sear it in butter before she retired it into the oven for hours. And she would dust that thing with dry seasonings. And to be with my grandmother is to learn how to cook. Because that's all she's doing. And her hands would shine from being swollen from work. And I just would help her because I loved her that much. I didn't want her to work it's like, like a that. page in the book. You wrote that in that book. Yeah, I, I did. I did. The way you worded that sounded like a straight up was, page. Was, <laughs> her hands would be glistening and shining as I it was swollen. I don't know the, that I wrote the, it exactly like that. But that in I the New Orleans remember. sun as her skin baked. And I'm like, wow, that sounds great. That's like a page. <laughs> it she might said, be a page, but not she, exactly like she that. she retired the roast in the oven. I said, wow, that's good. You know, I love words. Oh, that sounds nice. That's good. Can't you smell it? Can't you taste it? I can, I can. <laughs> Look, I don't even know if I really said it that way, but I'm Sounded just remembering good. the way that she did everything. My grandmother was a big woman. And I remember one time some crabs got loose in her house. I'd never seen my grandmother move that fast. And I wasn't touching them things. And she was running around the kitchen trying to pick those things up and turn them on their back so she could get them into, <laughs> into the pot. Because she was always cooking for somebody. You could always go to her house and get a meal at any time of the day. But I didn't, I didn't want her working like that because my grandmother worked her whole entire life. And she was a good manager. I learned later on that my grandmother was such a good manager that she would go and run other people's households. She would have been who the movie The Help was written yep, about. Yep. And so she would go run someone else's household while her household had to still run. So my aunts, they would have to know the things of my grandmother so that things would be ready when she got home. And so they had like a little farm in the back of their house and my, that my father told us about where they grew different vegetables like potatoes and blackberries and things like that. And so my grandmother would tell them what needed to be done. So when I wanted to learn how to cook, my mother, who hated to cook, would always dirty every dish in the house 
in order to feed everyone. Because my mother was just always entertaining. And she would dirty every dish in the house. And so I, I had to wash the dishes. And I just didn't think that was so unfair. So I said, Mom, why don't you wash these dishes? <laughs> and she said, why don't you cook this food? And I said, all right. And so problem is, I was pregnant. I was 17. I didn't know how to cook, but I knew I didn't want to wash yeah. these dishes. So I bartered with my mother to give me money to call my grandmother long distance. Because what your children probably don't understand is there was a time when you had to pay for minutes. Long distance. That's what it was. I'm going to turn this right here. Oh, no, no, no. You had to have that 10 cents a minute. They, they'd be calling you trying to get your own plans, long distance plans. Yeah. You know, um, but you said you learned how to bake over the phone. Yeah. So the t I learned the cook to cook first with her 17 years earlier. Okay. So when I got ready to learn how to bake, I went back. To the same path yeah, that had back served to the me before, and so I called her on the phone and said, "Grandma, the man on the radio says you could get out of debt by it's having a bake sale." <laughs> and she was like, "What you don't even like to be in the kitchen?" I know, Grandma. Look, stay on task. I'm trying to get this said, money. Yeah, I'm trying to get out of debt. This money. And so she said, "Well, open up your hand." And I think that was one of my biggest lessons was to keep my hand open, because while you lose things with your hand open, things are going to fall out. But it also leaves room for you to receive from God. And that's what I learned. My grandmother said, open up your hand. She said, measure the flour. Take your finger to the first line. That's how much of this ingredient. Pinch your fingers together. That's how much you need in this ingredient. And so I made my first one. It wasn't that great. And Mignon, you ain't gonna you ain't gonna just skip over <laughs> this revelation right here. <laughs> Cause that almost just took me out. Mm -hmm. She said, open up your hand. Mm -hmm. It's such a biblical moment that mm -hmm. happened in that. It's the same thing that God told Moses. He said, mm -hmm. open up your hand. Mm -hmm. And he put a rod in his hand Ooh. and began to perform miracles with that rod in his hand. That word. And so your grandmother said, open up your hand. And it's like, and then the, the spiritual... The spiritual side of that, like you said, is that you were losing so much in this moment. But if you focus on what you're losing with an open hand, you'll forget that as long as your hand is open, God put will stuff put in. stuff in and you can receive it. And so here it is that now when your mom is prophetically speaking, I mean, your grandma is prophetically speaking over your life, is that this open hand is about to release your destiny. Yeah. It's about to release this. It's yeah. about to release that. It's yeah. about to release everything that you began to manifest from that moment. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, what would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you take up a new hobby, catch up on some sleep, complete reading the book you've never had time to finish but always promised that you would? Did you know the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is by knowing what's important to you and making it a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I could not become the person I am today without therapy, to be honest with you. My vulnerability and transparency were cultivated in therapy, and it served as a foundation in which the beloved Dear Future Wifey podcast was built. Now, as you know, relationships of all kinds are important to me. Therapy helps with learning positive coping skills, managing expectations of myself and others, and most importantly, establishing healthy boundaries. Oh, boy, life is stressful, ain't it? Now, therapy is a safe space to recalibrate and recenter. Now, can I be transparent with you? 
Since the inception of this podcast, I've always wanted to do this right here for better help. Why? Because so many of you reach out to me seeking referrals for therapy services after each episode. My heart has been overwhelmed by the outpouring of you desiring help to show up better in life. And guess what? I believe the world is a better place with better help. It's entirely online, too. Designed to fit your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Wifey today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Wifey. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Ah, that right there about to make me run around the studio. But go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead and pick up where you was talking about. Because that blessed me right there. And so when my grandmother said, open up your hand... I began to measure something happened. The first recipe that I got wasn't right, but I wrote down everything my grandmother said. Now, early in our conversation, I told you that I wanted to be a surgeon. Yeah. But the reason why I never got it was because I couldn't apply the science to the human body. I was flunking out of school and in danger of losing my scholarship as a university in New Orleans. So what did you graduate? You graduated, right? I ended up graduating, but I graduated from another university in Texas. As what? And what what, what was your major? I graduated with a degree in psychology, mass media, and photography because it took me so long to get it all the things. Yeah, all the things Where did photography come in? Yeah, it was just something I picked up along (laughs) the way because I was one, I always, I'm a perpetual learner. I'm always looking to have more, to learn more. I'm going to glean, you know. So psychology- and photography. And mass media. And mass, mass media. media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Your, so, your career could have went all kind of different yeah, places. So I, I used, as a child, I would sit in front of the television and watch Hoda Copy. She was the first person that told, that showed me I could be on TV. And so I was trying to, I would sometimes get behind the kitchen counter and report the the evening news and things like that. And when I I got to meet her and I got to do the Today Show with her, it was just everything, everything. Full circle experience. I believe that something's wrong with the children of today because they don't have Oprah. See, when Oprah's show went off, (laughs) then mamas didn't have a way to help them get these lessons to their children. Those those were the things that were helping our parents, I believe, in the 90s to bring us along. (laughs) Man, when I tell you, Oprah was so impactful to to the culture. Um, Yeah, yeah, we can go on the whole rabbit trail with that because (laughs) I was talking about how it was a friend of of mine we were talking today or yesterday was talking about the kids nowadays, they don't have the Cosby show. They don't mm-hmm. have shows that had good morals to it. You know, they listen to the music they listen to is all sexualized. Mm-hmm. The, the the YouTube videos they watch, just all this stuff is just filled with such filth and yeah. garbage. And it's hard for them to, to manage morality in this type yeah. of space. And so those were our aunts and uncles. And those yeah. were the people who were helping our parents to raise us. Yeah. And I believe that's why you see in the culture today, they're they're calling people auntie 
You know, Tabitha yeah. Brown is everybody's auntie. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she's the auntie of the people in our generation. Yeah. My 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 sons don't call her that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They ain't looking at Tabitha Brown and saying that's my auntie. Okay. It's our generations that you know, and, and right around our age group that we say that. And it's and it's and it's interesting because it's like they. I don't know what they look. I don't know who they look yeah. up to. It's strange. But I, I believe that something happened to us when Oprah got off the air. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it was 17 years later from the time when I'm asking my grandmother for a recipe that I could use, and my grandmother says, "Baby, I don't, I don't have recipes. And I don't even know if what I use is available in the store." My grandmother was saying words I had never even heard of before. Grandma, Oreo, did you say Oreo? She said, no, child. My grandmother called me good. Good. I don't, I don't know. Girl, that is not what I said. Like, Grandma, I don't even know. She's like, okay, well, in your, let me see, let me see. It might be called, uh, how do you say, margarine? <laughs> she didn't even know what that was. Because my grandma could make that. She got oil. There was something called Oleo or Olean, one of those, which would have been, would have evolved into margarine in our day and age. And my grandma was like, you know, they sell that stuff in the store. Oh, she would make it from scratch? Yeah, my grandmother made stuff. From scratch, she said. They, what, what the? She said, "What they call it? What they call it?" On I saw a commercial the other day. They call it uh, uh, uh. yeah. Because my grandmother was on her soap operas when she wasn't missing her soap operas. But all my children, she, she did. Oh, yes, my mom's young and arrested young all and day, all day. But it was 17 years later in my kitchen when I asked my grandmother for a recipe. That everything came back to serve me, which is the other thing that I want people to take from our episode. Nothing is wasted. Mm. Every stupid thing you've ever had to do is taking you from where you are to where you want to be. Facts. Sometimes we take a longer journey to get there, right? Yeah. And sometimes we, t- you know, Siri will always reroute you. She'll say recalculating the route. And Siri always knows exactly how long it's going to take you to get you to your destination based on the path that you take. And no matter how much you try to beat Siri at her own time, you Siri will always get you there. And she'll always recalculate the route for you. So Armani, are you hearing this? <laughs> are you hearing this, Armani? This so should be speaking to your soul right now. Doesn't matter what you've done, what you think are mistakes. There is a song that I heard Fantasia say, and it's one of my favorites. And she says, I am who I am today because God used my mistakes. He worked them for my good like no one else ever could. He told me to tell you it was necessary. And that's what I began to believe about mistakes. Um, I think it was, I think it's just called It's Necessary. It's Necessary, yeah. Mm -hmm. That doggone prophetess, Man. prophetess Fantasia. <laughs> I mentioned it's her in that last favorites. episode. You remember I mentioned that in uh, in April yeah, yeah, that episode. Song, yeah. The song, mm-hmm. the song. Um, um, it was a different. Th- teach not, me, yeah. Teach me, yeah. yeah. Prophetess so Fantasia strikes she, again. <laughs> man, she has so much wisdom in her young, yeah, in lyrics, her young yeah. vocal cords. Yeah, <laughs> her vocal cords. One of my favorite songs ever. Every time I hear it, I cry because everything that you think that you're doing wrong, from that baby I had at 17, to getting married when God told me not to, to not stewarding over our finances, 
going, you know, all, all the things that I had done. It took me 10 years to get out of college when I started school at 16. I went on to campus at 16. I should have been finished by the time I was 20. But all of the things that I thought I did wrong, God was working them for my good. So in that kitchen, 17 years later, when I called grandma on the phone, God honored the fact that I honored my grandmother, the time that I spent with her. So when she said, open up your hand, I know what her hands look like. I know that she doesn't have these big, gigantic hands that I have, that she has hands that are often swollen from work. And so I began to learn how, what size my hands were. I know the measurement of my hand, what I can scoop and how much is going to fall out of my hand, like science. And so that what I couldn't apply to the human body to get me to a surgery room or an ER room or get me to medical school is now got me in the place that I had always intended to be. I was always going to go to Nashville. I just was planning to go to Meharry medical school hmm. and Meharry medical school is just off Jefferson street you in can, North Nashville. You watch God's divinity. And, Go ahead. <laughs> and my home where I opened that bakery is just off Jefferson street in North Nashville. You better teach. I was always going there. It didn't matter that I detoured. God was just recalculating my route. And so I used the science that I couldn't apply to the human body in that kitchen. And I began to make an award-winning recipe that was mine. It was in that kitchen trying to do what my grandmother was doing that God gave me an aha moment. You know how sometimes grandma makes you something that's not the same as it was last time? It yeah. was better the last yeah. time? Oh, grandma, what you do this time? Do it like this. Yeah. And grandma doesn't know because she's just a yeah. pinch of this and a little <laughs> bit of that. But I knew if I was going to open a business, it be had consistent. to be the same every single time. And so I applied science to it and everything that I never understood. All of a sudden, like this is so stupid. I need to go to medical school now. God said, you don't only heal people in an operating room. You can heal people right from where you are. Facts. And that's what our product has been doing. People are now being able to be seen because cake takes you back to a place in time where somebody saw you and you had something that was made with love. Cause you can't just throw a cake together. Mm -mm. I got to think about that thing. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take right measurements. It's going to take science to come together in order to yield a rise. That's going to be good. Something that you remember. And that's what God showed me that he was showing me how it's going to heal people right in North Nashville, the same place that he had put on the desire of my heart to be. I just didn't get there in the same direction. And I got a wonderful chance to go back to Meharry just this year and tell students who were getting ready to decide what they wanted to be and make their decision about where they were going to college, that you could be a scientist right in your kitchen, a food scientist. That doggone Siri got you to your destination. <laughs> <laughs> got me to my destination. Got Took me to your 17 extra years to get there. We done left this marriage. Now, what happened in this marriage? So we he done we we left off. He told you to go to the bakery school. I mean, uh, to start your bakery. What happened? What happened with y'all? The child's marriage began to start thriving. Yeah, we we stayed together because we were working. All right, so y'all working together. We were working. Y'all working together. Y'all working in this business. How yeah. many years did y'all? It would be five more years. So five we... more years. What made the bottom fall out? I don't know that the bottom was ever even strong. <laughs> I think we were always 
on that fragile place of is this going to be the time? Yeah. Uh, I was in, I we had a new store. Um, Got to re-up on my bike right here. <laughs> Got to re-up on this right here. Keep we had a new me. store. We had you Keep calling me and calling me. I just got to go to it. Just as long as you don't start scratching, we're going to be all right. Keep calling. calling me. I feel like smoking. <laughs> we had a new store, and um, one of my, the, the iPad had broken mm. that was playing the music. And so I went to the back to see what was wrong oh, with it. Oh, Lord, what did what you find? And when I went to the iPad to see what was wrong with it, there were some messages on there. And I called the number back, and I got a mouthful that I, that I was still, what did, I still was naive and wasn't ready for. So some um, woman that, answered the phone. Yeah. And, and then she what? heard my voice. She was like, hey, babe, I'm in a meeting right now. This is his wife. And she hung up the phone. And then what? That was the beginning of, of the truly end. the end. Our, our home had been so loud. And some of it you'll have to pick up the book to read just because, like I said, I asked my children for permission to share this part of our lives. So I had never told anybody. Our our home had become so loud. There was violence there. My life was on the line. Um, he tried to take my life from me in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided that I wanted to live. Mm. I decided I wanted to live. Yeah, because this is what I know for sure. God didn't send a son to die so that I could just barely live. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to have life more abundantly, which translates as to the full. And I wasn't living to the full. And I, so I walked out of the door on October 31st, 2014, and I never walked back. You left the house? I left the house. So I, you, you got was, your kids. I was kicked out of the house. And you and you left him with the house. Mm-hmm. And you where did you go? I did, went to a hotel that my son's girlfriend worked at provided for me. Oh, she paid for it. So yeah, she financially, said, where were you in that point when you left? I was in a stable place where I could take care of myself. Um, but she knew that I was gonna need help. Yeah. Like I, I was broken, so she got a hotel for me and said, "Just, just go rest." Were your kids uh, out the house at the time? They were, my, co- but but they were. My children were growing up. Yeah. I have one one child who's five and a half years younger than everybody, so he he was the young one going through all of this turmoil, watching his parents go through all this turmoil, and my the one next to him was graduating from high school. So those two w- was with you. Mm-hmm. So you're staying in a hotel. How long did it take for you to go and transition and get your own place? Um, it, all that stuff happened pretty quickly. So my son, my baby son, had been walking to the bus stop in our neighborhood. And he had come home and said, Mommy, I found you a place to live. <laughs> he, like, my children were always <laughs> aware of what I needed. 
And so he picked out a place that he he wanted us to live. He did. He did. And I get he was in the he was in like the he graduated in 2019. So how old would he have been in 2014? That he was probably in the seventh or eighth grade. And he picked out a place for us to live. And you went and moved and there. And so I went to the place. It was so expensive. And my mom was like, Mignon, how are you supposed to do this? I was like, if God opens the door, mom, I'm going. And so I had seen God move for me in miraculous ways before where he had wiped out my credit score in order for someone to open the door for me in, in other ways. So I didn't need him to do anything, but bring one of these apartments out of construction. It was a brand new place. It was brand new. They were brand new. They were building so $2,500 so, a month. So your son was a little high maintenance, huh? He was little, <laughs> yeah. a little, well, he was going, he was He kept go- seeing this nice place. I'm like, mom, we going to live here. Yeah. And, and, he, you, and you went, you went in and, 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 <laughs> pursued it. I, I went and pursued it. He he had been looking at this place on my behalf. <laughs> and so he was that a place that you would normally look at? A place No, because I would have never thought I could afford it. Yeah. It was twenty five hundred dollars a month for a two bedroom apartment. <laughs> and my mom said, Mignon, how are you supposed to? I said, if God opens the door, I'm gonna take it. They took the apartment out of construction in order for me to move in. So by that, I mean, they, they put everybody on getting this one apartment ready so that I could move in. And they had that, ready, that apartment ready for me in a few days. A few days? A few days. They were close to. Yeah. They were, they were close to completion. They had that apartment ready for me in a few days, and we moved in. So y'all were one of the first people to move into that little into area? Into the whole entire. Division. Yeah. Yeah. They had other apart like smaller apartments ready, but you know I needed a larger one because I had two children, and my daughter had just had a baby, so you know I needed something a little bit bigger. So they took it out of construction so that we could move into it. They said as long as you are willing to work with us to fix the little things that might become broken, you can go ahead and move in. <laughs> and those people didn't ask me for anything. What do you mean? Ask me literally, anything? there was no hoops to jump. And when God gives There's you no something, application. he doesn't add no trouble to it. I filled out the paperwork. I didn't have to wait for an approval. Because <laughs> when God does it, he, he lets you know, oh, this is me. Oh, God. And it's clear. That's blessing somebody right now. Mm-hmm. But it's somebody that needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Mignon, I knew you had to be here for a reason. Yeah. This is Miracles and Manifestation. And the and the anointing of God is all over you. Let me tell you something, <clears throat> because people still don't know we ain't even got there. <laughs> oh, we ain't even got there yet. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna push mm-hmm. this story ahead. I even know about that story. Mm-hmm. So thank you oh, for the there, bonus. There's a there's a bigger one where I knew that God would do that for me because I had seen him do it twice before in a much bigger way than that way. What? Talk about it. So I when I first decided that I wanted to leave. Um, I told you I'm t- kind of just telling you the story because mm-hmm. you know they got to get the book in they order get to get all to get the pieces together. But um, I had decided to leave, and I didn't. When the woman came and knocked on the door, I told you I stayed five years after. But after the thing with my daughter in the laundry basket, my children had gone out looking for me a place to live. <laughs> And they decided to come home. This was the day that the woman knocked on the door. They had been out looking for me a place to live. I'm not leaving y'all's daddy. What is wrong with y'all? I'm not going nowhere. And (laughs) they they found me a place to live. And so 
I said, take me to that place. And so they all piled in the car. They were so excited. This brand new construction. God was always putting me in a new thing, which right now in this moment, I hear God saying to tell somebody the way that he blessed me is not the way he's going to bless you. Because God said, I do a new thing. And sometimes we're standing on the edge of the Red Sea waiting for it to part. And God said, I did that already. You got to look forward and see the new thing that I'm getting ready to do. And God was always putting me in a new thing. And so this new construction was up and ready. And I pulled up. I was like, oh, this is nice. And my children had never lived in a home that wasn't complete of any kind of construction. Because, you know, if the cobbler's children have no shoes and the construction worker's children, they don't got, they don't have walls. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have flooring on the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. If the hairdresser's child's hair is all over her head. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was my children. So we pulled up to this place. It was so nice. And I told them to stay in the car. After we looked at the whole place, I love to say, I told them to get into the car. I need to go talk to the lady. And so I said, I need to leave my husband. I don't have any credit, but I have money. And I can pay for it. And she said, okay, fill out this application. I told her everything she was going to find on my credit application. And she said, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. They were just renting a few of them because the, the economy was beginning to dip. So they couldn't sell all of them. They decided to rent some of oh. them. And so I was going to be renting from the builder himself. So they really needed some people with some really strong credit that maybe could come in later yeah, and buy and, and these buy things. Yeah. And so she said, I'll, I'll get back to you in a few days. She calls me on the phone and says, uh, Miss Ferris, do you have a few minutes to speak? So I'm like, oh, God, you know. She said, so I pulled your credit. I said, yes. And she said, everything you told me wasn't on there. I've never seen a credit report like this. It was completely <laughs> blank. She said, the only thing that was there was your name and your address. So I'm going to have to get a deposit from you because you told me all this stuff but you're free to move in just as soon as you would like. Your credit, was, your, cre your credit was blank? My credit had nothing on it. God had blanked out the credit report so she couldn't see anything. She said, I'd never seen anything like this before, and I knew that my credit was jacked up. And Did you have a credit score at least? I didn't have a credit score or anything. <laughs> and that wasn't the first time God had done that. I knew it was God because years earlier when we were living in Atlanta, when we moved to another apartment complex that was brand new, we were going to be first people living in there. We didn't have credit to get there. God told me to go to that bank. God said, leave here, go to that bank, put your check in that bank, but don't just give it to any teller. Ask for that tell God, I, the teller that I will show you. So I was nervous because this guy called me to his window first and said, no, I'm waiting to see her. Little did I know she was the branch manager. Oh. And so she, she, she was a black woman. And so she thought, you know, black girl, let me help this little young black girl. And so she pulls me into her office. I said, God told me to only talk to you. And she was a God-bearing woman. She's like, well, all right, boy, I listen to God tell me what he said. <laughs> and I said, he just said, give you my deposit. I'm trying to get into this apartment around the corner. She said, well, let me have you fill out an application. She had me fill out an entire credit application. Because so, back then you used to have to be credit worthy to get one of those debit cards with a Visa yeah. logo on yeah. it. And she said, let me... Go ahead and pull your credit and I'll get you a credit, your 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 bank account open. I was just praying, God, I don't I don't know what she gonna find. God, dude, this is me. Yeah. And she comes back and she's she's got everything. Her baby, uh, here, sign this. 
fill out that. Here's your, honey, you don't have a credit score. You're too old for that. She said, all you have is your name and the addresses where you've lived before. So what we're going to do is we're going to get you a credit. No, no, God didn't tell me to come in here and get nothing but a bank account. She said, you sure? I can give you, I can at least give you a secure credit card. No, God told me to only come in and get a, get a bank account. And she said, well, if you ever need me, call me. That lady put that money in that in that bank account, made it available to me. Because you know I used yeah, that wait. wait. Yeah, yeah. that new account. She made the money available to me, and I went and got that apartment. So this, at that point, was the third time I had seen him do it. So I knew who he was because he showed me his hand. And if you trust God, he'll come through for you when you need him to. He may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. From scratch. From scratch. With scratch. With scratch. <laughs> so, you move into this apartment. Mm -hmm. You're away. You're away from your husband. Mm -hmm. Then what? We began to co-parent our children. Did y'all? Did y'all move with? I'm, I'm going to get a divorce. We're going, we're going to get a divorce. We get. We began to co-parent our children. So he wasn't trying to I, fight for you to stay or nothing. When, when, no, he had we, somebody else that he had his eyes on that ended up left leaving him after she took most of his stuff. But anyways, <laughs> see the shade. You see that shade? She just. <laughs> my child had picked this place because it had a barrier. You couldn't just come and knock on my door and get to me. You would have had to have a code to get into the door. You'd have to be buzzed in. There was a door person, all that kind of stuff. So I was paying for security. Your, your son thought he of that. He was thinking of all of that. He had been protecting me since he was two. Since he was two. He had been protecting me. And there's a whole story I talk about him being five and how he coached me. When I was getting ready to open up this business, God had given me this child. I cried, fell out on the floor and fainted when I found out I was pregnant with this little boy because I was done having babies. My last baby was going to kindergarten. I didn't want to be pregnant. And then I get pregnant. But God knew. And he gave me that baby. And that little boy has cared for me. In ways that no man has ever been able to care for me and God showed me that he was going to be a better that he was going to be a better man to me than any earthly man ever was going to be and what I learned into this process was that my earthly father's first job was to show me my heavenly one and he showed me how to work. He showed me how to be cared for. He sh there was nothing that I believed that I can't have that if I asked my father for, he wouldn't give it to me. If it was good for me, if it was in his power. And that's the same thing that God did. There was nothing he wouldn't give me if it was in his power. And all things are his. And all things that are the father's belong to me. And he sent the Holy Spirit to me and to you to show us what are yours and how to get them and how to use them. All you have to do is activate them. Mignon. So, because I'm trying to put keep this story going, because I'm gonna just lay on the floor and just go go into a whole worship moment. Uh, I'm gonna I'm stay focused on this interview because you are blessing my soul. Let me tell you something. Y'all got to get this book made from scratch. I'm telling you, Jesus. Okay, so how long did it take for the divorce to 
to become final. Yeah. It became final in May of 2015. From what day did you leave? I left on October 31st of 2014. So the day that the judge granted our divorce, I had to move back and live with him again. Wow. Because I needed to... So the house where that my son had found yeah. for us, it was really expensive. I needed to find something a little more um, cost affordable. Yeah. And my son was telling me things that were happening on the inside of the house. I needed to go help keep our house alive. Mm-hmm. So I moved back into the house to help make ends meet again. With your ex, with your husband, that you was divorcing. And then how'd that work out? I, I lived in another room and he lived in the master bedroom and he would go out on dates and I would be hurt. And I wanted my husband, my husband to see me. I still wanted him to see me. And that's when God began to heal me. At that time when you got, you were married for how many years? 21. 21 years. Mm-hmm. And you said, and God did what in that moment? God allowed me to see that he was going to be a better man to me than he ever was going to be, that it was okay, that I had tried to stay for better or for worse, that if he wants to walk away, let him walk. And TJ says it like this, your destiny is never tied to someone who will walk away from you. There it is. And so I went back to the house in order to help make the ends meet. And I stayed there for about two months because I felt really bad that my children that we had given birth to together were going to now be living in a split up household. All of the other children had their parents, right? They had a household where a mother and father. And I learned in the process as we were going through counseling for our children later on, my daughter had been praying for our divorce since she was seven. She said, what you didn't know is I was asking God to let this be over. And I learned How'd that make you so, feel to hear your daughter say that? It, you know, it was just like, wow. Because a lot of parents stay for the kids, but then the kids, every parent says that, that the kids are always saying, leave mom, uh, leave dad, whatever the parent that's the offender, leave because they are abusing yeah. that parent. I heard my daughter say something and, and my therapist held my hand. She said, what she's about to tell you is going to hurt. So I just need you to understand it's going to hurt. But my daughter said to me, he loved the idea of you. He didn't love you. How did the therapist know she was going to say that? Because she had been in counseling. All of my children separately went through counseling. Okay. When we got divorced, or as we were going through our divorce. And your daughter told you that? My daughter told me that. She said he loved the idea of you. He didn't love you. He loved what I could do. I think at that point, It was just like out of the mouth of babes. And these are things even still that I haven't talked about in this book. There's so much more that I decided to to share because there's so many people that are hurting and broken. And the, the stories that I chose to use and to say were because I knew that people would be in the places where I was. And I needed my story to help pull them out of the things that they were going through. And so what I'm hoping that they will see, no matter where they are, no matter what country they're in, I get DMs from women all over the world who hear this story and say, I'm just like you. And yeah. I say, I know. 
And that's why I told you my story. Not so you can be up in my business, but so that you can be about yours. And so I'm telling them what they can do if they also believe. Because God told me what I could do if I believed. And I said, God, if you will make me successful, I will tell anybody who will listen about what they could do if they believe. So having this platform and telling people and getting this book and it making it to number one in new releases on Amazon, when I'm up against major names, it's just me keeping my promise to God. And God said, I'll make you successful. But do not forget Anything that I've told you to do, don't turn from it from the left or to the right. And this book is a playbook to show you how to unlock the promises of God, whether that be in a business you want to start because it's the playbook for a business. How can you get out? It's the playbook for how you're going to get out. How will you hear from God? It's a playbook for how you can hear from God. Every stupid thing I ever had to do took me from where I was to where I wanted to be. And I was open and transparent about it. During your divorce, you said something that changed my life. You said God told you to do what for your husband? To give him whatever he asked for? Oh, yeah, that part. He told me. So we were going through a messy, nasty divorce with a big old smile on my face. Not that I wasn't broken and crying on the inside, but that I I had a sore now. The people were coming here for joy. And when people, you know, when people say, how you doing? They really don't care. <laughs> they, 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 you know, it's really, it's really just kind of like rhetorical, small, yeah, rhetorical yeah. question. <laughs> yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, my husband just left me. My kids <laughs> going crazy. My, my, my little nephew got locked up in jail. Yeah. Like I said, like Lord, I did not ask you yeah. all that. What they wanted was what the joy that I that could was give. given. Yeah, yeah. So I would go on the other side of my house and weep, and those girls who were working with me then sometimes even didn't know what I was going through because. They had their own things that we're trying to piece together, you know, something for their lives as I'm building a business and a brand. I started this thing for field trip money. I started this to be able to have the lights come on. I didn't know it was going to be careers for people. I didn't know we were going to put people through college. I didn't know that we were going to mentor other people and show them how to open businesses. I just was trying to get field trip money. So you're saying God told you to do what? God told me to give him whatever he asked for and that whatever he takes, he would he would repay. Do not take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to me and I will repay. And everything that he takes, I will give it back to you. And what did he ask for? And he, he, he tried to take everything. Did you give it to him? I gave him everything he asked for and more. I even purchased him out, the house that we were living in. He got that. All of the things that were on the inside of it. You gave him the house. You know, you know, it's very uncommon for the woman to give the man the house. Yeah. Well, we had two. So we had that one and we had the one that that my, that my business was in. And I bought him out of the, of, business. Of the business house as well. So you gave him the other house, bought him, bought him out of the business. And then what? How well, the was, business was mine. I bought him out of the house. The house the because it was, was real estate. Your your mm-hmm. your business is in a house. Yes. And and uh, so you bought him out the equity. Yeah. Here, buy. And also the people who had leaned the house that he owed money to. I also paid those things. So he I, took out a lien against the house, and you paid his debt off. 
after that, were you in a good situation financially to still be able? Did you have to scratch your way up again? I was scratching my way the whole time as as I was trying to figure all this stuff. The house didn't appraise for what we thought it was going to appraise for. So I was then paying him out of my pocket every week in order to pay the debt because I wanted my husband to see me. Even, what do you mean by that? Even, even I thought that he was going to think that I was good and, you know, even all these things that he was doing to me. You said even as you're going even, through divorce, even you, as want, I'm going you still had hope that God could repair it. At what point did you give up hope? What, what point did you accept the fact that Ooh. this is not meant to be? Probably through through the process of the divorce and how ugly it got. I, I couldn't believe the ways in which he, he left me hanging and allowed me to... When I, there was something that happened in court, which was shall remain nameless, <laughs> that I could not believe. And that's when I knew that, that, that it never stopped me from loving him and being hurt by it and saying, God, why does he get to move on with his life? And all of those things were temporary things. And God was building something bigger for me. So the greatest thing that God did in the process, Laterius, is this. When he was taking things from me, God was giving me more stuff back so that I could always meet the debt. When after I was done and I had paid off everything, that house that didn't appraise, a new real, a new banker came into my life. I've never seen this banker again. I don't know what happened to this banker. But the banker got a hold to what my house had been appraised for, and she was angry. She said, what are you guys, amateurs? To the people that was appraising. who had been appraising. And so she taught me a few things that I was able to put into my own purse, right? And she ordered a new appraisal for my house that would have been the kind of appraisal that they should have ordered in the beginning. And so what God was shielding me from. I was from, about to say that. Yeah. He was. He was shielding me. He was shielding you so even what you were paying your husband at that time still wasn't the fair market value really. God was still saying, nope, yeah. I got you. I yeah. got your daughter. I got yeah, you. Yeah, while I was crying about the value of the house so that I could pay him out of the house. God said it's still I, worth more. Yeah, God, God said it's still worth more. So by the time that this new banker comes along in my house, you know, to my house, the market had changed. And now it's it's a different kind of market. And I own the house at this point. And she gets a new appraisal for my house. And now it appraises for over a million dollars. This is this the house that you moved into that Kareem was talking about? Yes. When you walked when she walked in there, I said uh, it was a, we bought it for hundred and forty thousand dollars condemned. It rained more on the inside than it did on the outside. <laughs> she said it rained and more on the inside. The mold, we met a skunk <laughs> on the inside. When we moved in to the condition that we created the house for. There was two rooms and a half bathroom. The half bathroom was a tub and a toilet. We brushed our teeth, washed our dishes, everything in that tub. And there were no coverings on the floor and no coverings on the walls. What do you mean no coverings on the Meaning floor? Meaning no no tile, no carpet, no it just, wood. It was, wood. it was plywood. It was just plywood. And there were two rooms. So you moved out of the, the good house and you was living in that house. And two that's where you had your and restaurant. Half, and our, and our, extra, our extra bathroom was a Home Depot orange bucket with a toilet seat on top that we had attached because there were so many of us living in one house. 
That's what your kids and you, you and your what kids, my kids live. were living in. For how long before it started remodeling? We were constantly working on it. We got it to that place in order that we could move into it so that we could work so on the, it. So the stage you're talking about right here is we what y'all got it to. Yeah, we were living there. So you had to use the bathroom in the bucket. Mm-hmm. If someone was using the toilet that was in-house plumbing, my children grew up in outhouse conditions inside the house. <laughs> She said outhouse conditions inside the house. Mm-hmm. In 2005. Did you, did y'all have the ceiling passed up or something where it wasn't raining in the house? Yeah, it wasn't raining in the house anymore. You know, we, all those things were repaired. And so the house had been carted off for us to live in, in one area, in, in an area where these were solid conditions for our children. It just wasn't optimal conditions. As y'all continue to build. Mm-hmm. And then so now the house is remodeled and beautiful, yeah. right? Yeah. We each put our own sweat into that house. I have to show you the picture. You're talking about you, your kids and stuff was working yeah. on it? Mm-hmm. Your each kids ain't brick, no punk, huh? They get out and work? It, yeah. Each brick that is down the hallway, my children cut each individual piece. The dental molding that we uh, sort of copied off, because of, this is a historic home. Yeah. The, the dental molding that we copied off of a library in the neighborhood, our children cut each individual one-inch piece to sort of make a dental molding around the 13-foot ceiling. 13-foot ceiling? Your kids did that? My children did that. And, and they were how old during this time? My baby was, my baby turned three in that house. So we had a three-year-old, we had an eight-year-old, and they're all two years apart after that. So we had a 12-year-old, we had a 14-year-old, we had a Sixteen-year-old and eighteen-year-old. So now I see why when you left the left your husband in the other house, you went and got a whole other apartment because yeah. you couldn't you couldn't live in the other yeah. house. Well, by then we had by then we had renovated this house. Our home was for, nice. for the for the for the yeah. bakery. Yeah, for the bakery. But we were living at the bakery and working at the bakery too. We lived on one side and we worked on the other, side, which is a whole another blessing. Because they said that. When they gave us the price tag for the house, it's restaurants are going to be here. What? Restaurants? Restaurant? I'm trying to have my family live here. Little did I know there was going to be a restaurant. There was going to be my restaurant. <laughs> and that God was going to use that for me to have a platform to tell the world what they could do if they believed. So a house you bought for hundred thousand dollars now worth over a million. Yeah. And I own it. Say that again for I the people in the back. She said, and I own it. <laughs> Let's be clear. I recently created a trust for my granddaughters because I wanted my granddaughters to have something so that when they were being prepared for a king, they would have something that they would be able to bring. I, I read the story of Esther and I learned that that queens, the ladies in waiting were six months in beauty preparations in order to be brought before the king to please him. And so I started thinking about that. God, I was like, God, I, I want my, the, the children that are connected to me to have something valuable to give. And so I recently was able to create a trust. Six months in beauty preparation yeah. in order to be presented to the king. Yeah. I wanted what I've been through to not be wasted. And so I wanted my grandchildren to be able to walk into rooms and say, my grandmother was Mignon Francois, and I wanted that to matter. And so that house belongs to them. Because I believe that God used my mistakes and he worked them for my good. 
And so now I'm leaving an inheritance to my children's children. Here's the biggest thing about it that we haven't even touched on, which I guess after all this time, I don't know how long they want to hang on here with us today, but that they'll have to, to get it out of the book. But that I am making a living and a legacy on sugar when my father was born on a sugarcane plantation. And that God has allowed me to have a full circle moment, not only in the life for the decisions that I made, but for the women that came before me who couldn't have free enterprise, whose labor was taken from them, were able to make a living for other people on a sugarcane plantation. And now God has allowed me to create legacy and leave a living and wealth for my children and their children's children in the same industry that enslaved their ancestors. And God's allowing me to build wealth. And you said it yourself. What I say, Mignon? You said it was so yam good. It was so yam good. (laughs) This don't make no sense. I just opened it up to this, and I want to end with this. Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, James 1, 2 through 4. This is the epitome of you. That verse is you all day. The perseverance that that you've obtained and maintained throughout your whole life to make manifest the glory of God, for you to be able to walk as an amazing woman of God. That's something that's not something that your grandma told you. You're not reliving the story that she told you, but you lived and you walked this thing. A lot of women, especially in today's uh, culture will say, how in the world could you still have been holding on to hope with him when he's consistently showed you over 21 years that he was not the man that you desired. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things that are, um, this this culture, this generation um, has lost is that stand power. Now, of course, I can sit there and say, yeah, you stayed too long. But at the end of the day, who am I to tell you what your journey was supposed to be? Mm-hmm. It was that 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 faith that worketh patience and perseverance was something that you had to go through because still the same people that said that that would say that you should have given up earlier have given up on their dreams early. Mm. And that same perseverance that got you through this crazy marriage, got you building this, seeing the value in a home, a million dollar home when it was only appraised at a hundred and something thousand dollars. In its condemned version. In its condemned version to be able to see something in its condemned state and still see the beauty of it. That's one of the things that I've always asked God to to continue to give me the heart and a mindset and an eyesight for is to be able to see the the King David still in the shepherd boy stage. Mm-hmm. Armani asks me all the time. So when Armani comes and does switch and I always throw him into the podcast. Uh, but Armani always asks me all the time. He asked me this last week. Why did you adopt me? Like what, what, what I said, our mind, you have so much purpose. You have so destiny. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He always throws it out. Like when I, like I'm lying to him or something. Mm-hmm. I said, our before I adopted you, the day that we went out and we fed the homeless, when I met him, um, during this Wednesday's child segment, I saw his destiny. God mm-hmm. gave me a glimpse, gave me a, a, a foreshadowing of him on stage just speaking to people and all this stuff. And I said, what, this this dude? And it's interesting that the first thing you said when you sat down, you said, you have a voice for radio. Have you ever thought the voice? 
You said yeah. that. Well, God gave me the insight about that when I first saw him. I said, he's going to touch lives like crazy. Mm-hmm. But in this shepherd boy stage, Armani can't see himself been more than what he is right now. Mm-hmm. Like he can't even see himself to the next day. Mm-hmm. He like, ah, I'm just this. No, I'm not this. I'm this, this. And he just, just so negative about himself. I said, Armani, if you could see your greatness. Mm, can, if I, you, can I just speak one thing over his life? Go. I would say, Armani, speak what you seek till you see what you said. There is power in the words that come out of your mouth. And I want you to know that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. So nothing exists apart from words. And I want you to know that the words that you say have power over your life. And that is why there is power of life and death lying in the tongue. And I want you to know that out of the same stem that thorns grow, flowers come out of that same stem. So it doesn't Mm. matter the pain that you've been through. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. Be careful, little mouth, what you say about Armani, because everything we started it out with this, the devil wants to do is make what God said about you a lie. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for showing up today. Thank you for not giving up because I know there are so many stages in your life that you wanted to give up. Um, thank you for just showing up in, in, in the full glory of who God called you to be. And I'm telling you, DMs are going to be flooded by people talking about the impact that you made on this episode so thank you hey listen make sure y'all go out and pick up this book y'all know how we do on the dear future wifey podcast we turn we turn writers into bestsellers so uh do what you do she's already uh, a bestseller we're gonna get on that new york's times bestsellers list hey, amen we receive it <laughs> yeah let's go and push on up there so y'all go pick up this book made from scratch where can they get these amazing cupcakes that i just killed <laughs> On thecupcakecollection.com. We also ship them nationwide. Uh, We're we're so excited to be able to partner with FedEx in doing our shipping across the country. And then they can follow me on Instagram at mignon.francois and the Cupcake Collection on all platforms. Listen, I'm going to have a link in the description. Y'all go pick up, patronize this queen. Listen, Mignon, thank you so much. Thank you for thank having you me. Thank you so much for showing up. You blessed me. There's so many times in this episode, I just, I just, you just took me out. I just had this moment where I just start thinking and it's a, it's a, it's a, you spoke to me on this one thing. It's this house that I went and looked at last week and I was like, gosh, I started out wanting this house that's about $200,000 less. Mm-hmm. This is a little expensive, Jesus. <laughs> a little expensive. But then I'm sitting up here hearing this message you spoke about your son and then this. Mm. And I'm just like, what? Is anything too small for God? Mm. You know? And so I'm like, all right. I took my son's by there the other day. I said, hey, this is the house I want to get. You know? He said, you can afford this. I said, you know what the difference was? My son was telling me what I could afford. Yeah. He started speaking into my life and saying, mom, you're a millionaire. Before. I was like, boy, you know, and and I was like, all right, well, then I'm and then I would try the things he would say it would work. I was like, okay, y'all speak, say some more stuff. And what God showed me 
showed me was I supply your needs according to my, my. riches, not yours. There it is. So my so daddy rich, y'all. My daddy rich. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I need the lender to hear that. Anyway, so, so I said, I ain't filled out the application. I said, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to see what I'm just going to keep driving the neighborhood. Your word for the year is? <laughs> Miracles. Miracles. God, God says, God says he's going to do exceedingly yeah. and abundantly. That means more than you can even conjure up in your mind to even think about. And you're worrying about whether I can get this house. The greatest thing about I learned about God is he is no respecter of persons, which means if you've seen somebody else do or you've seen somebody yeah. else, it's an indication that you can have it, too. There it is. All right, well, nobody asked you to come pick on me, man. You know, I, was just, I was trying to share my testimony. You over here. Lord Jesus. Okay. All right. You know, hit me in my side. Okay. I'm good. All right. Well, y'all know what y'all got to do. Go buy this book. Go patronize these cupcakes. They're absolutely amazing. Go and take that sweet potato uh, cupcake challenge. Uh, thank you so much for blessing us on the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Hey, y'all give it up for my homie, Mignon Francois, y'all. <laughs> Ladarian thrusted suddenly into child protective services in 2015. My nephew, black, a boy. The likelihood of being adopted outside of kinship, slim to none. Armani, 16 years old, black, a boy, with five years in the foster care system before I even knew his name. The likelihood of ever being adopted, yep, you guessed it, slim to none. While Ladarian and Armani were trying to survive and barely thrive in an overpopulated and underfunded foster care system, I was living my own life, doing well professionally. Having been a single father with a daughter who at that point was doing well in college, it was my time to live my life, right? Wrong. I felt unsettled, tireless, agitated. There are just too many of our black children stuck in ambiguity and in the limbo of the foster care system. In 2017, I legally adopted my nephew, Ladarian. Fast forward to 2019, I had no ties to this other young king, but I felt God instructed me to adopt him also, and I obeyed. Starting over with parenting should have been enough, right? Working with various foster care and adoption agencies to help bring awareness to the countless young black kings in the foster care system should have decreased my agitation, right? Joining the board of directors of Advantage Adoption, an organization that helps find permanent adoptive homes for children in foster care, should have led to some type of resolve, right? No, not at all. None of it felt like I had done enough. I now realize that every one of those experiences was laying the fundamental foundation for my life's mission, Kingdom Royale. Kingdom Royale will be a luxury, state-of-the-art home for foster boys. Our first location will be in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We will utilize the whole person approach that instills identity, empowers them to advocate for themselves, and enlightens them regarding new perspectives and limitless options that they thought were impossible. Though the young kings will attend the local public schools that are in proximity to Kingdom Royale, our at-home curriculum will broaden their worldview through participating in the arts, attending various cultural events, learning about and engaging in multifaceted discussions about current events and even relevant historical context. 
introducing them to gardening and landscaping and even caring for our animals on our farm and on-site stables. We just launched our startup capital campaign with the goal of raising $2.8 million. Now, why $2.8 million? Well, in 2017, I created a web series in which I performed random acts of kindness for targeting the homeless community. One of the most notable successes was that one of the videos went viral, garnering 28 million views. However, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't raise a single dollar to help in implementing a more sustainable plan for the homeless community. So throughout the years, with much remorse, I reflected on not maximizing that moment. I knew if at that time, just 10% of the viewers donated $1, we would have raised at least $2.8 million that could have really established long-term support for the homeless community, or at least started a long-term initiative to do so. This is my do-over. This is our new beginning. Together, we can attack this at the root by specifically helping our homeless black boys who are already disproportionately represented in the American foster care system. I'm LaTeris R. Whitfield. I've been nominated for three regional Emmys documenting my work with the homeless as well as my personal adoption journey. Despite those accolades, the greatest award for me is truly providing the infrastructure for a transformed life. Visit KingdomRoyale.com for more details. Crown a king and make a donation today. Were you encouraged from this episode? Man, I tell you, Mignon, I just love hearing stories of resilience. I love hearing stories where people rose above their circumstances. They held on to faith with tenacity and an unwavering faith in God. I absolutely love the journey um, that God allowed Mignon to go through. So here's my favorite part of the podcast where I speak to my future wifey. Dear future wifey, what does marriage mean to you? Why do you want marriage? What do you think is the benefit of marriage? These questions and more have taken residence in my mind during this single season. Marriage is so beneficial and spiritually rewarding. To know with each other, we'll have an intercessor, confidant, partner, lover, friend, coach, safe place, and legacy of love builder. You are the manifested prayer of so many years of waiting, hoping, yearning, believing, doubting, crying, rejoicing, fighting loneliness. So many juxtapositions of emotions. You are truly worth the wait. You are worth the unanswered questions. You are worth the persecution. You are worth me fully surrendering my heart. Your future hubby. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Remember, be lit, live intentionally and transparently, and don't stop loving. Make sure to subscribe to our Dear Future Wifey YouTube channel. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We welcome your support. Simply share our podcast with your friends and family.